The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast. It's the Wealth Formula Podcast. Yes, indeed. And today, let me just start by reminding you that I have this course released. It's called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. So faculty include Rich Dad Advisors, Tom Wheelwright, Ken McElroy, guys like international asset protection and estate planning attorney Kevin Day, the real estate guys, Dean Graziosi. I mean, that's just to start. And this is a really robust course. And for those of you who've said to me, where do I start? Where do I get the foundation? Well, listen, you want to know how I went from being broke, literally like negative net worth uh, in 2008 when I finished my training, and then in seven years ended up with an eight-figure net worth? Well, it's in, in part, in large part, because of the people in this course. And they are going to teach you what they taught me. And then I also teach you everything that I've learned on this journey, unlocking the secrets of the ultra-wealthy. So sign up for that course. For a limited time, there's also free membership to Wealth Formula Network, which is going to be the Wealth Formula community online. Let's start growing your wealth. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com and sign up. Now, I should also point out that a number of people were very interested in uh, something that I had offered last week, which is a one-hour personal coaching and wealth strategy session with me and um, and so that was a. I'm going to extend that now, uh, just to make sure that anybody who's really interested in that has an opportunity. But you have to sign up before April 14th. Before April 14th, right? I didn't say Friday the 13th on purpose. So sign up before April 14th, and you will also, in addition to this fantastic course and access to the Wealth Formula Network get a one-on-one consultation and coaching strategy with me. Now, I have to warn you uh, before you go and and get this kind of consultation that I'm going to make you do a lot of homework uh, if you end up with one of these uh, uh, consultation sessions because I do not take these types of things very lightly. I don't do them very often, but when I do, it needs to be rigorous. So it's going to start out with some homework It's going to start out with some reflection. I'm going to even ask you to draw pictures, et cetera. Um, But it's what I do. I mean, it's what I do on a regular basis, and that's what this whole session is going to be about. Now, uh, this course, which is called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, is about unlocking the unfair advantages of the wealthy. And again, you can go get it, wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, while most of us high-paid professional 
suckers, as you as you might call it, let Wall Street convince us we should be happy getting five to seven percent growth on our money. Yippee, right? Well, the ultra wealthy don't buy it. No pun intended. Well, actually, there was pun intended. Because you see, the ultra wealthy know that there are opportunities out there constantly to amplify their money exponentially. And one of the reasons, personally, that I don't like investing in the New York Stock Exchange is that by the time a stock becomes publicly traded, most of that upside is already gone. There's very little meat on the bone, only about 5 to 7% per year worth of meat on the bone at that point. You know, let's take this company Square uh, Inc., for example, you know this company, you see this, uh, they're a mobile payments company and you see people using them all, you know, you can basically take credit card payments on your phone, whatever. Sometimes you see them in small businesses, uh, but that's Square. And it's a, uh, it's a software firm. It basically allows pretty much anyone to take credit card payments. That's, that's in effect what it is. And it's a nice idea. And sure, um, uh, I don't doubt that this company has a bright future. But let's look at if you wanted to invest in this company, you know, buy stock in this company or equity. When you look at the stock, its price to earnings ratio is, well, it's over a thousand. Okay. So what does that even mean, price to earnings ratio? Well, it's a ratio, right? It's the price uh, divided by uh, the earnings and it equals a thousand. So, Let's 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 give an example of how that would work. Well, let's say that you have a small business that makes $500,000 per year. I know there are many listeners of this show who are in that scenario for sure. And you decide you want to sell your business. And you want to sell your business for a price to earnings ratio of 1,000, just like square. Well, that would mean that you'd put your business up for sale for a half billion dollars, right? Who's going to buy that? Well, apparently people on the New York Stock Exchange are going to buy that. Now, are you really going to buy a company valued like that yourself? Well, that's what people do on a regular basis when they're buying publicly traded stock. Private companies don't typically have those crazy valuations. Why? Because the valuations are typically made by appraisals, and they're not made by irrational exuberance, right? It's not made by public sentiment of, yes, I think this one's going to go up. That doesn't, that doesn't really happen. There's a rhyme and reason for private companies to have appraisals that they do. And that's why the ultra-wealthy who often are able to invest in these companies before their initial public offerings often make such a killing. The problem is that most of us, you know, if we want to participate in this, don't have an extra couple million dollars to play with to speculate a little bit, even on, you know, if you want to call it speculation. I mean, some of these are late stage private companies that are about to go public that you already know about. But now what if you could, on the other hand, invest, you know, $25,000 into a company like, say, Lyft, right? Lyft. You might know that. That's Uber's major competitor. It's actually a privately held company right now. Uh, but what if you could just buy $25,000 in, into Lyft before it goes public? Would you do it? Well, it might make sense, right? It might make sense. The problem is that, as I said, until recently, it was impossible 
for accredited investors who aren't worth several million dollars to participate in this world. And that is, of course, until recently. You see, I just discovered a way for high-paid professionals to play in the world that used to be reserved for the billionaire boys club, as they say. It's through a business called Equity Zen. And uh, when we come back, I have got the CEO and founder of this company, Atish Dabda, and he's going to tell us exactly how it works. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double-digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Atish Dabda. Atish is the founder and CEO of Equity Zen. Part of Equity Zen's mission is to allow investors that previously couldn't access late-stage private companies due to access and investment minimums, et cetera, to invest in private companies before they go public. So it's a really neat idea. Atish, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Good to be here. So um, let's start out a little bit about, you know, let's, how, did you, how did you get into this? Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you founded Equity Zen in particular. I studied uh, anything related to numbers uh, when I was an undergrad. Uh, numbers just made a lot of sense to me. So I uh, ended up working at a hedge fund out of college. Uh, and then uh, the entrepreneurship bug, which had bit me many years ago, uh, really took hold. So I ended up working at a small small startup as its first employee uh, in, its, uh, you know, in its new division. Uh, long story short, you fast forward a few years and I had gotten some equity uh, some shares from that company as part of my compensation. They were worth more then than they were when I first joined. And since I wasn't making the hedge fund salary anymore, and my you know girlfriend at the time was uh, was was kind of tapping her wrist saying, "Hey, when's this thing gonna move forward?" <laughs> um, I started uh, I started shopping around for her engagement ring, uh, and I realized that you know the darn things are pretty expensive. So. Uh, well, I tried to sell some of this equity that I had, the shares that I had in that private company, and sure enough, 
even though everyone assured me that this paper money was actual money, I couldn't buy a ring with it. I realized I can't buy a burger with it, can't buy a house with it. So that was really the idea behind EquityZen. Um, you know, EquityZen is a place where buyers and sellers can get together and trade in private company shares, uh, which is exactly the problem I had faced. And, you know, about five years later now, you know, we're really proud to have been able to help a lot of folks uh, both get an engagement ring, pay for a wedding, <laughs> buy a new house and a few other great things. Right. So it's great for people. I mean, there's people who are listening to this show who who work for some of these companies where they're currently getting, you know, a large amount of 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 equity, um, you know, as part of their compensation. So, you know, you could look at this. Um, those people can look at this both as an investor and also as a place to potentially, you know, take some of that take some of that capital off the table and invest into something else. So it's pretty exciting. So, you know, I have a lot of accredited investors um, listening to this show, but you know, what we mostly focus on is, you know, real estate or other things that the traditional uh, markets would call quote unquote alternative assets. Can you, you know, just so that we're kind of starting at the same page, can you give us a summary of how the typical company goes from being private to public and where EquityZen fits into this picture? Absolutely. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to build a company. By far, a very common one, especially in the last 10 years, has become <clears throat> to go raise uh, a small round of funding from either friends and family or angel investors. And then you go to a venture capitalist or another fund and you say, hey, look, I've spent the last year or two proving out my idea. I think it has some traction. Here are the numbers. Uh, I'd like to raise some capital uh, in, order to, uh, in order to accelerate the growth. And you, and you do that three or four times over. And then at some point, these private companies are the types of companies that you and I might have on on our on our mobile devices, the Spotify's of the world that's about to list publicly next week, uh, Lyft, uh, the car sharing company, uh, and so on and so forth. And by the time they get so big that they're ready to, you know, what's called IPO uh, or start being traded publicly on the New York Stock Exchange or Nasdaq, what ends up happening is that they're so large that they really focus on a small number of very large investors when they're ready to actually um, you know, raise the next round of capital. Now, that's a great strategy for those, for those late stage companies because they you know, can't really take a thousand people who wanna put in $20,000 each. It's just, it's too much work for them to do to raise $20 million. Um, but where equities then comes into play here is that when these companies are typically two to five years away from, from going public, so they're two to five years away from being listed on the public stock exchange, you and I can go on our Fidelity or Vanguard or E-Trade accounts and buy and sell stocks just like we can for Facebook and Google today. Um, these companies are actually a very different type of alternative investment than early stage angel investing, which I think a lot of the listeners here must at least be familiar with. Yep. Um, and so the, you know, to kind of zoom out, uh, if you think about a company's life cycle as angel investments are when the company's young and the, and, and the founders are working on their laptops furiously in a coffee shop, uh, in their diapers, uh, the company is, and then when the company goes public, 
<clears throat> we're talking about the company graduating from college, where EquityZen really tries to operate is when the companies are graduating high school, they're in college, they're a proven entity, they're a household name a lot of times, uh, but they're out of reach for the typical accredited investor because the typical accredited investor doesn't write a $20 million check. They like to write $20,000, dollars $100,000 Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where this is super cool because uh, now I'm assuming that the, you know, the real uh, value of buying pre-IPOs like we're doing here with EquityZen is that the valuations aren't you know, that they're not bloated like they are once the stock goes public. You know, there's more meat on the bone, sort of like buying wholesale instead of retail. Is that fair? Yeah, I think a great way to think about this is to look at, um, you know, what your wealth advisor uh, is giving you access to. You know, a lot of times our wealth advisors will tell us, hey, I've got this, you know, great stock or a great set of stocks in the public markets. Or they'll say, hey, I've got this fund manager, this venture capitalist or growth equity fund um, that I want you to take a look at. What's pretty hard for these wealth advisors to do, um, and, and we certainly have many wealth advisors as clients on EquityZen, is what's pretty difficult for them is to be able to consistently and with the approval of the company, be able to get you know what we like to call the retail accredited investors access the folks that aren't writing uh you know million dollar or larger checks all the time um and it's because it you know frankly it's a lot of work and uh, you know by the time you've gotten 50 people together who are who are writing a you know a hundred thousand dollar check each um you know that can take anywhere from a month to to a couple of months and the company may have moved on by then and the opportunities lost and so you know what equity zen really tries to focus on is companies that are still undervalued because they're private companies. People don't know as much about them. They haven't gone through the whole roadshow and the fanfare yet. And so they're slightly less known. But at the same time, they're well past the, the diaper stage where now they're generating tens of millions of dollars in revenue. I'll give you an example. One of the companies that you know, EquityZen is particularly excited about, we've worked with this company, DocuSign and as well as with Spotify, that's about to list publicly. DocuSign is a company that landed a contract to conduct all e-signature transactions for the U.S. government. And that's a, that's a big accomplishment, but DocuSign is not a public company, company yet. So if you or I wanted to go buy it on our Fidelity accounts, uh, you know, that can prove pretty tricky. Um, and and EquityZen has, has worked with DocuSign, its shareholders, and many incoming investors for many years now to provide them that access before the, the whole world knows about it and before the stock pops after the IPO, uh, but after they've established themselves as having generated hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where I think this is really cool. And, and just to, uh, just so that, um, just to clarify too, I mean, these these companies, when you go and you look, you look. I, I got you know a login and I took a look around. I'm like, wow, some of these companies I figured I thought were probably already were public. I mean, they were, you know, these were companies that I completely knew of, um, that I was very familiar with. So it's not like these are you know a bunch of uh, 
you know, a bunch of no-name companies. Um, can you give us, you know, just so that we have a sense of how this can go, and, and certainly understanding that, you know, past performance is not <laughs> indicative of future uh, results, but can you give us some examples of some, you know, pre-IPO equities sold on Equity Zen, and then maybe how they ended up doing after going public? Yeah, yeah, happy to happy to do that. And you're absolutely right. It's worth repeating that past performance is not a guarantee of future success. Of course, um, there is. You know, there are there are two things I'd love to you know love to point out here. Number one is that the, you know what you what you said is actually a pretty common thing. There's a lot of companies that are just so large now um, that are still private that it it really boggles the mind. Um, and a big big reason of the you know for this is that. The number of public companies in the U.S. is actually at a at, at a 40-year low. Uh, you know, we used to have around 8,000 companies at the turn of the millennium that uh, the average investor could invest in, uh, and now that number is barely above 4,000. And that means that the same money that's going into the stock market is being concentrated in fewer and fewer names. Um, and what that means for the private market, <clears throat> which is uh, the market right before these companies actually go public, uh, what it means for them is that the companies are staying private longer. That means there's uh, more and more shareholders and their employees and their investors that have to wait longer to sell their shares. And we believe that this is a ripe opportunity for accredited investors to take a look at because what's the point in waiting on the sidelines uh, while waiting for this company to go public um, you know, there's a chance the company may get acquired. And uh, as it happened with AppDynamics, one of EquityZen's partners, um, and then you never get a chance to actually buy into this company in the public market. So we think that there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the companies that we're particularly excited about having help is, you know, since this is a real estate, um, you know, familiar audience, I'll point out Redfin. Redfin yeah. is a company that were, you know, that's a public company now. Equities and helped them with shareholder liquidity before the company had gone public. And what that did for Redfin uh, was that it gave us their blessing because it allowed a lot of their shareholders, their employees, their investors to get some liquidity, sell some of their shares before the IPO at a price that was a discount uh, to the price at which they went public on. This also allowed a lot of accredited investors to access Redfin shares before the company goes public, again, at that discounted price. Um, and, you know, it, it really is a win-win because the sellers have been holding the shares for so long. Um, you know, they got the shares when it was worth a lot less. Um, and the buyers, they, they, they invested in this company before the IPO, and they're able to not only invest that, you know, frequently at a discount, but also uh, have a longer capital gains holding period, which means that if they did want to sell their shares after holding onto it for two, three years, um, well, they could potentially do that six months earlier, 12 months earlier than that. Um, some of the other companies I want to just mention here is that we work with B2B companies such as DocuSign. Uh, we also work with B2C companies such as Lyft and Spotify and Nextdoor um, and Opendoor. And, you know, I think these are companies that a lot of the folks on the podcast will be, you know, will be familiar with given it, you know, given the impact they've made in the real estate market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even companies <clears throat> like, you know, I, I, you said Lyft, we all know Lyft and, you know, 23andMe and all, all these other interesting, uh, interesting companies that we all know about. 
Uh, so there's an opportunity there. You mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit about how um, you know people people might be wanting to sell because they've held for a while. And maybe they need liquidity. Um, is it? Did you say that typically it's about from from the point at buying from equities end? It's usually probably about two years from IPO. Is is that about average? Yeah, it's you know it's about two to four years away. So we have companies that are so first of all I should mention that equities end only works not only with the company's approval for conducting these transactions, but also with companies that are at least $100 million in enterprise value uh, on the small end. And EquityZen has partners, um, you know, Lyft is just one of them, that are worth many, many times more than that. So some of these companies are worth, you know, in the billions or tens of billions of dollars while they're still private. So these are not all, you know, like fly-by-night companies. Now they're risky investments. These are equity investments. Um, however, these are companies that are making tens or hundreds, if not more, millions of dollars in revenue every year. Um, so the typical company that you might consider is, you know, a company that's, you know, eight years old. They've got 600 employees. Uh, they've, uh, you know, they've had investors that have held stock in the company from year zero all the way through year five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, and you know the the investor, the angel investor, maybe that put in fifty thousand dollars in a company that fifty thousand dollars is now worth half a million dollars. Well, they won't. They may want to take some of that out and reinvest it into five new companies um, while still leaving half of their half a million dollars right. lot in there. And you know, just because they're ready to sell some of it at year six presents an opportunity for someone else to come in and, and say, you know what, I'm ready now that I, you know, see that the company has proven itself a bit to come in at year six and hold on to it until year 10. Yeah, yeah, got it. So let's talk about this sort of mechanically in terms of, okay, the people selling, there are these angel investors or who maybe got some, maybe there's some employees who are looking for liquidity, which is on your end, how do you get those shares, uh, those equities and how do you value uh, how, how do you value them? Yeah, so you know any accredited investor that comes to our platform, uh, you know they can they can be sure of a, you know a few things. So the first and foremost, they can be sure that these companies um, you know are going to approve the transaction if they you know if they end up actually buying the shares, they're actually going to be holding on to like the shares have undergone a lot of due diligence mm -hmm. to make sure that <clears throat> when you invest into this fund, the fund will definitely own the shares. That's number one. Um, number two is that we take a lot of effort to screen out a lot of the companies that uh, you know whose shareholders try and sell their shares. But they may not pass all of EquityZen's filters, um, and so EquityZen, for example, only allows one out of every twenty uh, sellers to actually list their shares on the platform. Um, and the vast majority of the time that these companies do actually pass our screens, um, will also have put together an entire investment document or a private placement memorandum uh, that will be visible that specifically spells out. You know what the what the share price is, what the implied valuation is, what was the company's last round of financing, what the implied discount or premium is, what the entire history was of every single series of stock that the company has ever uh, you know sold, and therefore their price along with all the rights 
um, you know, associated with that series of stock, who the investors are of the company, what the business model is, everything we can publicly verify with regards to their financials. There's really a lot of information available on these companies. Um, and frankly, this surprises a lot of our clients. And, you know, we've now, uh, you know, we now serve over 25,000, uh, you know, investors from over 50 countries. And a lot of these investors, they write into us and they say, you know, I'm really surprised to find this much information available because I just thought private companies, you don't know anything at all about them. And, you know, we, we, you know, it's a point of pride for us here at Equities End that we spend a lot of effort to organize, to structure this information and anything and everything that is publicly verifiable, uh, you know, we go through, we, we, you know, we go through many iterations to try and make sure that it's available to you, the accredited investor, so you can decide whether or not this investment makes sure. sense for you. <clears throat> How about valuation? So the valuation uh, is something that starts off uh, using the cap table, uh, using every single series of shares that the company has issued, uh, including the last one and exactly what rights they have and what the price is. And that's the starting point that we show both the buyers and the sellers. And then what ends up happening is that the buyers submit uh, you know, price levels at which they're interested. The sellers submit price level at which they would be interested to sell. And then we work like any other, uh, you know, any other matchmaker does. And we say, okay, we have this much demand at this price. We have this much supply at this price. Okay, great. Let's get these folks together. Let's conduct a transaction. Um, and so the price, the ultimate price is definitely determined entirely by supply and demand. Um, what, what is true is that we provide a starting point using which the buyers and sellers can at least have a point of reference. Because these are private companies, because you can't just look it up on Yahoo Finance, uh, we give folks a starting point to say, okay, the implied valuation of this company is $700 million. That means that the share price we're talking about is worth $8.49. And you're welcome to submit your own um, you know, level of interest at which uh, you know, which could be fifty thousand dollars at eight bucks, or a hundred thousand dollars at seven ninety nine, or what have you. Okay, so you can bid. Uh, I was under the impression that there was a fixed cost, uh, but maybe that's that's not the case. You 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 bid on it. You bid on it. Yeah. So what uh -huh. what ends up happening is that a lot of the uh, you know we collect data on every single indication of interest. Uh, from buyers, indications of interest from the sellers. And then, you know, this order book starts to form where you have all the points of demand and all the points of supply. And then where there's overlap between the two is where we say, okay, at this price, at eight bucks a share, there's enough people who are going to have their interest met on the buy side and the interest met on the sell side. And then we use that price to say, all right, here's, Here's, here's what's going to happen. The market clearing price right now is eight bucks. Uh, and if you want to uh, invest in it, then 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 you can at eight bucks. And if not, then you're you know, we can wait to see if it drops back down uh, to eight. I see. Uh, and maybe that's the fixed price you're you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think you're it, it is set for a period of time. And then I, I'm guessing it just sort of it will drop if there's not enough buyers is kind of what you're saying, right? That's exactly okay. right, and and it could go up if there's uh, if there's less uh, supply than there is demand. That's now, exactly right. Is there a, a secondary market to that market? In other words, somebody uh, buys somebody buys uh, you know so much uh, shares of Lyft, and then 
You know, it's it's still not gone public after two years, and they say, well, maybe I want to sell it. And or are they is that kind of your final sell at that point? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's our final sell. We we've definitely helped folks complete a round trip where they say, okay, I'm ready to buy this, uh, you know, into this company, uh, and they do, and that was in 2016, and now it's 2018, and they say, well. I'm past the mandated, uh, you know, the required period of holding on to it at least for one year, uh, you know, which is mandated by the SEC, Rule 144. Uh, but then you say, you know, I bought it at 16 bucks and I see it's trading at 23 bucks. And yeah, that's a pretty good gain. You know, that's a 50% gain in two years. And I, I think I'm happy with it. Um, and so just as easily as you bought with the clicks, uh, you know, with, with clicks of a few, uh, with a few clicks of a mouse, uh, you can actually also indicate that you're ready to sell. And then, um, you know, as long as there's a willing buyer at, at a willing price, we'll, we'll, we'll happily provide you liquidity as well. Um, and so I guess the point is we really are trying to make, um, you know, what is a very illiquid market, these private share markets, we're trying to infuse liquidity into it. Um, and so the shares that you as an investor may be purchasing could be from a first time seller or it could be from an investor that bought it two years ago yeah. and they're happy with the return now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So <clears throat> I know we kind of uh, alluded to this before, but can you give us a sense? And again, I know it's really one of those things where you just don't want to talk about these results because it's past performance. But when you go from that phase of, of pre-IPO to IPO, what kind of uh, outcomes have you seen? Just get, if, if you could just give us an, a couple examples just to get a sense for what kind of you know, pops that sometimes you know, are possible when you go through this transition of private to public. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're absolutely right that we have to be careful for regulatory reasons not to overpromise any of this. But, you know, here's what I can share with you. In fact, we put together a case study on Redfin specifically. So I feel that a real estate interested audience will actually find this pretty interesting. Uh, you know, Redfin's a company that's been around since 2004. They raised a bunch of capital all the way, you know, for 10 years, 11 years, all the way through 2015. And in 2016, equities then helped, um, you know, the company uh, with their liquidity needs. We helped conduct, you know, at least one transaction uh, that we talk about here in the case study um, at right about what looks like between 12 and $14 um, a share. And then by the time the company went public, uh, the company actually, the IPO priced in at $15 a share. So already you're starting to see that by the time, um, you know, most outside investors got a chance to invest, it was already higher than the price private market investor had paid. Oh, you know, I, I, I take that back and I'll confirm that the purchase price on equities in this platform was actually $12. Mm -hmm. So $12 is where an investor invested in Redfin equity at, uh, well before the IPO. Uh, the IPO price at 15 bucks at $19.56 is the earliest that any outside investor could have purchased a share. This is called the open price on the IPO. Right. If you were one of the lucky people that got their bid filled immediately upon the market open, you would have paid 19 bucks and 56 cents. Um, and by the end of the first day, the shares closed at 25, uh, just, just a little bit above $25. Yeah. And so, and so for the folks that invested on EquityZen's platform well before the IPO held on to it while the company was still private, 
they saw 115% return mm -hmm. on their investment. Um, now, once again, these are still risky securities. Sure. It's possible to lose money as well <laughs> as it yeah. is to make money. So I want to be very. Oh, don't don't worry. We of... we even talk about cryptocurrency on this uh, show, so you have nothing <laughs> to worry about. Well, well, in that case, I'll tell you that these are in fact real companies with right. uh, with real <laughs> business models. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that's at least a, a illustrative yeah, of no, the that, fact that that's really helpful yeah. actually because that's kind of what I was getting at. Now, I'm generally not, you know, like a uh, stocks and bonds guy, but I do uh, invest in IPOs and pre-IPOs, specifically in the the Toronto stock market in the junior mining sector, and and so I know what kind of results you can get. So I was just curious, you know, if those were the those were the kinds of things we were talking about here, and it sounds somewhat similar to that. Um, now um, let's talk a little bit about. I want to shift a little bit here. Oh, by the way, before we move on. Is there typically a lockup of these equities after the IPO for these owners? So, you know, anyone that purchases shares before the IPO gets treated as if they were any other shareholder. And this means that there is typically a six month or 180 day lockup after the IPO, uh, at which point the shares are delivered straight to a brokerage account to the accredited investor that has purchased it in the first place. And, you know, m many times the folks hold on to it because it's a 10 year buy for them. And sometimes the folks say, you know what, I'm uh, I'm I'm happy with the performance so far. I've passed a year, and according to Rule 144, I can sell, and so I'll go ahead and yeah. sell. So there's a lockup. Um, and and once again, this is uh, this is a uh, this is an offering, uh, you know, to invest in individual private companies yeah. uh, that equities and makes available to all accredited investors specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Okay, so shifting a little bit, you know, I, I saw a video of you, I think you were on, maybe you were on CNBC or something, one of those cable uh, financial networks where you were talking about uh, potential changes to the accredited investor laws. Um, I just saw that uh, literally, you know, about a couple hours ago, and I was curious about that. What do you, what do you know about that? Is that going to happen? Well, you know, there's certainly been more attention paid here than there was before. I think with a lot of the rise of cryptocurrencies, um, you know, and, and, and the and the just the staggering amount of dollars that are flying into it, um, th there definitely has been a bit of a slowdown in the reform of, uh, you know, the definition of the accredited investor. Here's what is true, though. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, the securities laws that we're talking about are really in place to protect the consumer. Mm -hmm. And it can seem frustrating to a lot of folks, including ourselves at some point when we say, oh man, but we know this person's an accredited, a, a sophisticated investor. They know what they're talking about. Why can't they invest? And, uh, you know, the reason is that the SEC has come out and said the definition of an accredited investor is someone that makes, you know, 200000 a year in income for the last two years, or they have a million dollars or more in terms of investable assets, not counting the value of their house. And there's a few mm. other ways in which it could be accredited. Uh, but the point is this, is that the SEC says, well, for now, we're going to make it so that because these are very risky investments that we're permitting people to, to, to engage in, we want to at least make sure that whatever amount that they invest is not going to completely wipe them out. It's not going to cause them to lose their home or anything like that. And so the, the approach they've taken is to draw uh, broad strokes and say, well, you must be wealthy enough so that 
you know, even if you were to make a losing investment, you're not going to be out on the street. And I think that there is definitely interest in these reforms and defining an accredited investor uh, partially also by, uh, you know, potentially testing for their knowledge, their education, the fact that, you know, it's it seems a little odd that a financial advisor can advise other people on their investments, but may not be an accredited investor themselves. And so maybe they couldn't apply the same knowledge for their own wealth creation. And I think that that's something that we continue to follow closely. Um, and here at EquityZen, even for folks who are not accredited investors, we put out a lot of educational content, just like you know, you you know, this part of the this part of the podcast here uh, is to make sure that people that may not be accredited today doesn't mean that they won't be accredited tomorrow. And it certainly behooves you know the listeners and you know as many people as we can tell to at least keep in mind what some of the options are once you do become accredited. What are going to be some investing options that are available for you so that uh, you know you're not starting from scratch at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I find it very frustrating, too, because I have a number of uh, physicians, for example, who listen, and some of them are new. And what happens is, you know, they're coming out, they're making four or $500,000 in their first year, um, and they're in practice for a year, and uh, they still don't qualify, even though very few people would argue that they've got the money to be able to invest twenty five to $50,000 in a, in, a, in a private placement. So that some mm-hmm. of these, some of these kind of... Uh, uh, these bars that are set are kind of uh, silly, but um, let me ask you a question that might seem a little bit of uh, odd or curveball. But have you considered the potential role we talked about cryptocurrency, but that distributed ledger technology in general, blockchain technologies might how they might affect your kind of business model in the future? Just because again, it's sort of you know the way things are going to be done maybe 20 years from now could be very different right where companies may be issuing um may not be going through large banks and doing IPOs anymore is that on your radar at all or is that just uh something that I'm thinking about because it's uh, something that I'm interested in oh no absolutely it's something we pay a lot of attention to in fact uh, you know, we think that there are many ways that, you know, the ledgering system, the blockchain, the underlying technology could actually play very innovative roles here. I mean, here's one way to think about this. You know, one of the things that we invest a lot of our energy in is conducting due diligence. When a shareholder says they have, you know, a thousand shares of some company, uh, do they, you know, how do we verify that they actually own the shares? Can we confirm with the company that these shares have, haven't already been sold to anyone else and so on and so forth? It's not unlike the titling system in real estate. Yeah. Uh, the ledger can be a great technology in order to try and um, you know, build in verification so that due diligence is at least easy to conduct, if not entirely uh, you know, a, a natural side effect of you still having that, you know, that, uh, that asset in your, in your digital wallet. Yeah. Uh, that's just one way in which we can make this uh, you know, we could implement the blockchain technology. Uh, we've also, I should point out that we've worked with other cryptocurrency or blockchain technology based companies, and we've conducted more traditional share transactions for, uh, you know, some of the larger players in that, in that, but, you know, budding industry. Um, and I think that just goes to show that, 
it's not just you know it's not just you and me here, Buck, but also the accredited investors that are listening to us right now and that are on EquityZen's platform right now um, that are also paying attention to the various possibilities that this technology has to offer uh, you know to to finance in general. Well, this has been really interesting. Again, uh, the site is EquityZen.com. Uh, Atif, uh, thanks so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, Buck, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you learned something there. I certainly did. And I'm, you know what? I am happy to invest in businesses that are uh, not driven up in, in, in price just by emotions of the stock market. You know, that whole irrational public market. You know, if, if you can get in early and take advantage of everybody else's irrationality, by buying a company at a real, you know, a real value that makes sense and then waiting for it to go public. Why not? It might be worth it. Now, listen, um, uh, check that out again if you want at EquitySend.com. Uh, I do want to remind you, and, and I want to make this a strong call to action, so listen to me here. I want to remind you that my course, Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, is live, and so is Wealth Formula Network. And if you get in, before Saturday, April 14th, you will get a free one-hour coaching and strategy session with me. Uh, like I said, I don't take this lightly. I think it's a very valuable exercise. And um, being part of that whole wealth formula community going forward could be one of the better investments that you make in your life. So definitely check it out. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com and sign up. And that's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey. Signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.